Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HR Works Podcast, brought to you by HR Daily Advisor. I'm your guest host, Josh Zygmunt, Content Director for Simplify Media. The HR Works Podcast provides clear, relevant, and actionable information on topics that matter to you, the HR professional. When you're armed with the best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional service to your organization, HR just works. In today's episode, we're diving into what many are calling the slap heard around the world, the recent 2022 Oscars altercation between actor Will Smith and comedian Chris Rock. This incident has caught the media world by storm and left many wondering if it could have been avoided, was it handled correctly, and what could have been done differently. The team here at HR Works decided to take it one step further and ask, how would HR have handled the Oscar slap? To get our answer, we brought in Deb Muller, employee relations expert and CEO and founder of HR Acuity, to take a closer look and help us understand how it could have been handled differently, along with the steps team leaders can take to protect their corporate culture in the moments following a workplace altercation. Let's check out the episode. Deb, welcome to the HR Works podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So Deb, we're speaking right now in early April 2022, a few weeks coming off of the Oscars with a much talked about incident between two megastars, comedian Chris Rock and actor Will Smith, having an altercation right in front of the world watching on the Oscars stage. And it was really something we've never seen before and has been talked about and continues to be talked about. But I wanted to look at it with an HR lens with you today. But before we dive into that, I want to learn more about you. So could you tell us a bit more about your career path and how you got your start in human resources and also what led you to founding HR Acuity? Sure. Thanks. Well, um, how did I get my start in human resources? I don't think growing up, it was something that I dreamed about as a small child to go into HR. However, when I went to college, I was attracted to the program. I went to Cornell's Industrial and Labor Relations School because there was no requirements for math or science. So looking back on that, it's sort of ironic because now I'm the CEO of a tech company. So you never know where you're going to go. But that is what led me to HR. It was either that path or going to uh, the legal world. I chose HR and started doing that and spent about 20 years. And just promise me you won't start adding up the math here. But I spent about 20 years in a variety of HR roles, leadership positions, and did a lot of employee relations. So essentially what that means is when things go wrong, you kind of push it over to the employee relations person, or if you don't have an employee relations person, which was the situation for the early part of my career, it was sort of that knock on the door on a typically a Friday afternoon. Someone would come in with a big problem. Sometimes there were tears, and it was your job to figure it out, solve it, and essentially make it go away. And that was it. It was very, very reactive. And so as my career progressed and I thought what I wanted to do, I, I just felt there was a better way. I looked around at other functions. And they had technology to help them get predictive, to be more proactive. We were really starting to talk about data. I even looked at HR and we were starting to use technology, albeit really crappy technology (laughs) that as a user, I was not really fond of, but we were using it. But employee relations was still sort of in the shadows, you know, just being done. Everything was confidential. So you couldn't even tell people what you were working on. And I knew that not only was this a trove of data about the employee experience that could really help us get more predictive, but I also saw that how you managed an issue had as much to do with the outcome as the issue itself. Little small issues that weren't handled properly got blown out of proportion and disrupted the entire workplace and ended up costing the company a lot of money a lot of time. And then there were other really sort of bad things that happened in the workplace. But if we investigated them properly, if we managed them in an appropriate manner, we were able to kind of put them to bed or to deal with them and make, you know, get people back to work. So I saw this void. 
employee relations was like kind of the last bastion of manual processes. And for some reason, some strange reason, I thought since I had no experience in technology that I could solve this. And I always say that, thank goodness, I didn't do a lot of research on how that was going to work and what I would need to know to do it. I just kind of jumped in. That was in 15 years ago, 16 years ago. And now HR Acuity is, as you said, we are the only case management platform for employee relations. And we have clients like LinkedIn and ADP and Workday and Verizon. So there's a need out there and really proud of what we've, we've built. Wow, that's really impressive. Thank you for sharing that, Deb. It's really interesting to see having a past career, learning to be both reactive and proactive. Those both work in this case with employee relations, where you learn to be proactive to get out in front of issues that are coming, but then also how to react properly to nip them in the bud and solve the issue and not let it compound. Absolutely. I mean, as I was saying, it's, you know, you think about other functions, you think about marketing, you think about how years ago it was sort of all this sort of reactive. And now they wouldn't do anything without being predictive, right? The predictive indicators and employee relations, it's no less like that. What are the indicators out there that can kind of get us ahead to what's going on and create a better and safer workplace? What's interesting too is with so much changing in the workplace and just our work culture over the last two years, there's still employee relations, regardless of where you're working and how you're working, you're still working together and something we're all learning. So it's great that, I mean, that is just such a vital piece of the working model, regardless of how it looks. Yeah. I have to say when I first started down the software path, it was a lot of education, talking to people and finding these early evangelists to understand why this was important. And then this thing called Me Too happened. And then we had the Black Lives Matter movement. And then we had the pandemic. And all of a sudden, organizations started having this discussion at a different level about these issues and how they were being raised and how we were dealing with employee incidents in the workplace. And we've just been really fortunate to be sort of on the forefront of that conversation. Yeah, it's a vital role that, again, can be present for anything new that comes up, any new changes, anything that really comes to the forefront in the workplace. Employee relations comes back to hold everything together and really keep that corporate culture tied in. Absolutely. All right. So let's use that as a jumping off point. We saw a just massive event take place at this world stage being the Oscars between Chris Rock and Will Smith. Again, for anybody who may be listening to this after the fact. If you haven't heard. <laughs> right. If you haven't heard, Chris Rock, who is a massive comedian, as far as comedians go, gets on stage in the Oscars, makes a few jokes, which he's there to do. That's his role as a comedian. But makes a joke about Will Smith's wife, Jada Pinkett Smith about her being bald in reference to G.I. Jane, which again, she was just recently diagnosed with alopecia. The audience laughs again, knowing that Chris Rock's comedian, but then quickly Will Smith walks up on stage, slaps him, walks back to his seat. Chris Rock continues with his bit and Will Smith then shouts at him and it gets back on track from there. But it was the aftermath, really the conversation that followed that I wanted to look into. And it got me thinking, okay, well, if this was in a workplace and workplaces are not foreign to having altercations, how would this be handled by HR? So Deb, take us through this. How should HR have handled the situation between Chris Rock and Will Smith if it was in a workplace, both in the immediate moment when it took place and then following the incident in the moments after and the days and weeks that follow? Yeah, yeah. And and you, you actually can think this was a workplace event, right? Sure. These people are working actors and this was part of what they do. This is going to this. They go there in their you know persona that they are. First of all, everybody, every company needs to have what I would call like a Rocksmith plan at this point, because this is going to happen. Something like this is going to happen in your organization. How you react in the immediate moments and afterwards really make the difference. And I think the academy is learning that now. So a couple things. First of all, 
let's put this in the work context so that people can really understand and let's not make this the Oscars. Let's make this a sales conference, right? A couple of days event, people are out there, sales conference, you're going to do awards for the best salesperson of the year. And let's say there's an incident a day or, or the morning of, or during, maybe it's an altercation, maybe it's physical, maybe it's not. Maybe someone, you know, tells some inappropriate jokes or there's a harassment complaint. I can't imagine any of this happening in the sales conference, right, never but happened. yeah, never, never happened. Right. And it gets, you know, people see it. It happens. People are talking about it and the company does nothing. They sort of don't do anything, or maybe they're doing things, but they're doing it behind the scenes. So nobody really knows what's happening. The conference goes on. And they have their big awards dinner. And guess what? The person, the subject, the perpetrator, whatever you're going to call them, the alleged harasser or puncher, gets the top salesperson of the year award. Just imagine that. Imagine that person getting up on stage and then the whole team, the whole team just giving that person a standing ovation. It's ludicrous to think that that would happen. And hopefully it wouldn't. And the message that it sends to your employees is what happened doesn't matter, but the outcome and the prestige and the accolades go to the person that performs the best and gets the most revenue or the most box office dollars. So really not something you want. So what should have happened was what didn't happen. When an organization is made aware of an allegation or sees something happen, they have to immediately address it, particularly something as visual and played out on the large screen as this was. They immediately should have addressed it. They should um, condemn what has happened because this is physical behavior. There's no question here of whether or not he hit him, although I think at first people did think it might be a joke. Right. There was a bit of a WWF, WWE element to it. There was. And I keep saying there was, it was not, the punch was not followed by a punchline. So that's why um, we knew it was, it was real, but immediately should address the behavior and separate the people and condemn the behavior that was happening, that was witnessed. And then of course they would take the involved person out of the picture, right? So they would remove them. Now, you know, you want to investigate you're not going to take them off in handcuffs, particularly for that one punch, but you're going to remove them for the safety of everybody that's there and to show the organization that it's being taken seriously. My understanding in this situation, they asked Will Smith to leave. You don't ask someone to leave, you take them out. Okay. Secondly, you make sure the victim's okay. And again, I've been reading about this, like I'm sure you have. And they said that Chris Rock said, no, we want to go on. He didn't make a big deal about it. But if we think about other victims, victims of sexual harassment, and others, they don't want to make a big deal about it. They don't want to be sort of the um, everybody looking at them. So they might say, I'm okay, I'm okay. But they typically aren't. So they need to make sure they're helping the victim or the person there. And then they need to conduct an investigation. And we can talk a little bit more about what that means, but it, it needs to be done in a timely fashion. You don't want to do it right away, but you need to conduct an investigation. And people might say, well, what do you mean? You know, we saw it. We saw it. We saw the punch happen. All these people saw it. But the investigation is more than just what happened at that immediate moment. It's also figuring out why it happened. You know, what right. was the genesis and understanding why it happened? You know, in this case, it could have been, and we still don't know, that this person, whether it's Will Smith or your top salesperson, a lot's going on in their life. Maybe there's some medical issues. Maybe there's a mental health, you know, so, you know, there's just a lot going on in their life. And this was just the, the straw that broke the camel's back. It does not condone it, but it could be a one-time issue. However, you do an investigation, you might find that this person's been a bully in the workplace for a long time. And this has been going on and on. And so that tells the organization different, how they're going to remediate this, how they're going to address the organization is different. And that investigation is so important. The investigation also signals to your employees that you care, that you're going to take the right steps. And if something happens to them, they should come forward because there's a process in place to help figure out what went on 
make a determination and move on. So all of those things which didn't happen or are happening later need to happen in an organization. Right. That's so well said. And I thought that was certainly something that, again, jumped out to me, but jumped out to so many people was just the lack of reaction after by the Academy to remove Will Smith. And again, you learn more as the days and weeks follow of more details in the case, but that he was able to return back to his seat and then eventually come up for an award to see again that that play out, I thought was very interesting versus the understanding that someone should probably be immediately removed from the situation right, to, to prevent any, any snowballing. Yeah. You know what else I'm finding really interesting about this? is the reaction of the audience, right? Everybody applauded and they clapped. And then I just saw some video of him dancing at the after party with his Oscar in hand, like nothing was going on. And what is concerning to me about that is we are spending so much time, I know in our organization, and I know in so many other organizations of helping people understand this concept of allyship and helping people who are in trouble and speaking up if you see somebody else who needs help, who might need help. And so here's this whole group of audience members who did none of that, right. who just sort of played along and nobody thought to say, you know what, I'm going to distance myself or say, you know what, you're not welcome here, or I'm not going to dance with you at the party. And so that is concerning. But again, when you take it in the organizational perspective, what can an organization do to make sure that people feel comfortable coming to the aid of their fellow workers or somebody else that then may need help coming forward? Absolutely. What I thought was interesting was looking at both the lead up and then the follow up to the incident and planning ahead, knowing who your guests are going to be or who your hosts are going to be in this case and understanding what to expect. And I think there's a bit of preparation there and just knowing what you're building. But then on the back end of that too, then understanding and, and unpacking that piece, knowing that we should have expected this or this could have been a possibility. But then also saying, okay, what were the details? And doing that proper investigation on the back end, I think is so interesting to look at and so crucial in the whole situation when you're assessing. Yeah. And again, let's kind of relay that back to the organization. Employee expectations about workplace conduct, workplace behavior, how organizations respond is so different than it was 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago. What was okay before is not okay now. So right. when you think about bringing people to your organization. I can think of just in my own experience, three times in the past, I don't know, maybe 18 months or so, three different situations where there's been a speaker, a vendor, a trainer, an entertainer. And actually that was the case with HR Acuity, who we brought to the organization to do whatever they do, right? We paid for them to do whatever they did. And they did something that was inappropriate. Not, they didn't punch anybody. It wasn't horrible but it was inappropriate given the time. And what's been really clear to me is that organizations have to now really think about who's presenting to them and make sure that they have clear expectations as well. I'm not saying that Chris Rock did anything wrong, but it's going to make the Academy rethink who they're bringing up on stage, what they're saying, as every organization should do. So that's part of planning. The other thing is setting employee expectations very clearly when you're at the events about their behavior and what you expect from them. I know of CEOs now, and I apologize to the salespeople out there that are very well behaved because I'm going to use it as a, an example probably throughout this entire podcast, but there are CEOs that will get up at their sales conference on day one and say, we're so excited to have you here. We want to have a good time. We want to celebrate our success. We want to learn. And there's 500 employees here today. And I want there to be 500 employees here on the day that we leave as well. Basically saying, here's what we expect of you. And if you don't meet our expectations, we're going to show you to the door and you're not going to make it out of here. Sure. 
And that's, that's really important. Set the stage. It's not just about, well, they got the policy when they joined three years ago. They should know not to do this. You would hope that people know in general, but be very clear about what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And I would actually reinforce that now because post-COVID, as we start to get back together again, people that have not been together in a long time have not been in these sort of person-to-person interactions. They need some reminding, I'm sure. Someone has said it's sort of going to be like, you know, after prohibition was lifted, a lot of parties going on. And we have to remember that we have a lot of employees who have actually never been to events like this because they started in a virtual era and they've spent two years sort of just sitting behind a desk. And so I think that's going to be really important. Yeah, that's absolutely an interesting dynamic that we're going to see play out in the workplace. I want to dig into that a little bit later because I think that's really something that'll be vital to our listeners and really just to the community to understand is how that's going to change. But one last piece on the Chris Rock, Will Smith incident that I thought was interesting was that there was no formal follow-up in the moment. Now, if we're looking at this with a workplace lens, do you feel that was a miss? And is that something that HR leaders or organizations should be doing right after an incident? Or was was it properly handled to wait a day or two after and put out the official statement after the fact? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's when the organization needs to be the leader and to really show their culture. And so someone should have come out, whether it be the producer or somebody else, and basically said, you know, Will Smith has been removed. We take this very seriously. We're going to be conducting an investigation. We apologize, but your safety is of utmost importance to us. We're going to continue with the show. When his award came up, he should not have accepted it. He could have won it. That's fine. I don't, you know, at that point, I don't think you're going to change the voting, but they should have said Will Smith is not available to accept his award. There would have been no applause or little applause, but the organization, the people watching, the team members, the academy members would have understood that it was taken seriously. And, you know, I don't think anybody felt unsafe, but you're setting expectations for moving forward. Really important. Yeah. Yeah, you're, You're delivering a confusing message, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what happened? People just kept celebrating him all night. Sure. But, you know, As the investigation continues to unravel and dots start to get connected, you get some clarity on that. And then you look back and kind of say, well, that was a little bit questionable. And you start to really second guess the process where the opposite end of that, as you mentioned, you get out in front of it, you address it immediately with the right people and set the right tone. And it really can solve or at least set course for the issue much more quickly than really what's played out. So with that in mind, this is a great transition. Corporate culture really gets affected in these moments, and we'll stick with the workplace. You get a workplace altercation, physical or verbal, that can really impact workplace corporate culture and just the camaraderie between coworkers. So how quickly can a workplace corporate culture recover after a notable altercation, either verbal or physical? Well, I think, you know, whether it's physical or verbal or just any type of incident in the workplace, it's going to depend on how the organization responds to it, right? Because it's going to spread... But you want to know that you have an organization that's going to be transparent with you, that's trustworthy, and also seeks to figure out what went wrong, right? So if it's just going to happen over and over again, then I don't think you do recover and it will erode the culture that was there or perhaps was not there. You know, one of the things we talk to our employer relations leaders about is this idea I mentioned before of being predictive or figuring out what signals did we miss. And then understanding what do we need to do to stop this from happening again? Did we need more training? Is there coaching or follow-up? Has whatever we've done remediated the information? You know, one of the things that we do with our case management is, yes, there's going to be incidents that lead to investigations, but the bulk of what our users use our system for, and whether you use a system or not, you know, depending upon your size, this is possible, is looking at those incidents beforehand, right? Looking at those 
conflicts between people or looking at performance issues or looking at policy violations and dealing with them and make sure that you're remediating them properly or looking for areas where there are no issues and wondering maybe people aren't feeling comfortable with that manager, looking at turnover, all of this data to start to identify where you have interpersonal issues in the workplace that you can nip in the bud or change so that they don't escalate to these altercations, whether they're physical, whether they're you know policy violations and such. And so all of that is really on the employer. The other thing that we're doing is people in our employee relations community are paying much more attention to the aftercare right? So after the investigation, after the incident, what are we doing to help people, to help them understand, to help them have conversations about it and figure out where people need help. And I think in sort of the COVID and the social environment that we're in right now, this is really important. People are struggling with what to say at work. You know, how do you talk about things at work that we weren't talking about before? And how do we learn to have respectful conversations to learn about our differences at work? to talk about different issues, what you should talk about, what you shouldn't talk about. And human resources and organizations can really help to provide that coaching and that teaching to their employees. And now a word from our sponsor. Hey, HR Works listeners. Do you want to control healthcare spending while also helping employees and their families be healthier and happier at the same time? Well, if you do, look no further than One Medical's primary care benefit. One Medical provides fast, easy access to care for physical and mental health, chronic condition management, and 24-7 virtual care, all in one place. With better access to care and a better user experience, One Medical can reduce expensive ER and specialist visits for a lower total cost of care. Visit onemedical.com slash hrworks today to learn more and get an individual 30-day free trial. Terms and conditions apply. And now, back to our episode. So, Deb, the one thing that really jumped out at me and what you said was the idea of transparency and just how crucial that is for organizations, especially in these difficult moments. Being transparent, being open and honest with your employees about what happened and about what the plan is going forward. I think so much can be lost when you try to sweep something under the rug or ignore it and handle it maybe behind closed doors. I think being upfront and honest may be the best policy to keeping that corporate culture intact. Yeah, we talk about transparency a lot. You know, one of the things we learned on kind of the heels of Me Too was that people don't come forward when an issue happens. And so there was sort of this rush for like, we have to give people more mechanisms to come forward. And, you know, my stance on that is people know where to go to come forward. We know we actually did a survey a couple of years ago. Most of them go to their managers. You know, there's hotlines and things like that. The reason people don't come forward is they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what's going to happen next. They don't know if they're going to be re-victimized. They don't know if they're going to be believed. And so when they sort of weigh it, they either say, you know, I'm going to keep my mouth shut or I'm going to find a new job or I'm going to leave. I mean, we saw that play out with the governor of New York a year or two ago. You know, when there was harassment allegations, it wasn't until one person came forward that all of a sudden, this is sort of classic, then more women started coming out of the woodwork because they felt safe that people were going to listen. But to make that first step is really, really hard. So one of the things we talk about is why investigation process is so important to building that trust with your employees. You have to show them that when they come forward, there's a process and explain to them what that is. Now, what we've also found in our benchmark study is that only 44% of organizations actually have a standardized required process for conducting investigations. And so think about that in terms of other things we do. 
Imagine if you were getting ready to go on an airplane and you found out that on your airline that you were going on, when they thought there was an issue with the airplane, someone says, hey, there's an issue with this airplane, that in 44% of the cases, they would have a required process for investigating it. Would you get on that airplane? No, of course not. No, I mean, like you wouldn't trust it. Of course not. So we have to start treating our human resources as well or better than our other resources. So having a specific process, you know, when people use HR Acuity, the involved party, here's a very specific protocol about what's going to happen during the process. Just the fact that you have a process means that you care that you've put something in place. Sure. Um, some organizations are starting, it's slow, and I'm hoping it gains traction, to report data regarding allegations in the workplace. So if you're large enough, you know, in the last quarter, we had X number of sexual harassment allegations made in the workplace. And in 65% of the cases, we substantiated the allegations. What does that say to the employees? It says you have a process because you're counting. And actually, in many cases, uh, these are just numbers, but in the majority, you actually substantiate that the person's telling the truth and you're willing to listen to that and hopefully remediate it. So transparency really goes so far. The other reason that people don't come forward is they worry about retaliation, right? Am I going to come forward? Is someone going to treat me differently? Most organizations have an anti-retaliation policy, but my problem with that, I mean, I don't have a problem with that. I think it's great. It should be in place. But now you're saying to someone, okay, when you've been harmed, come forward and tell us about it. That's really hard. We're going to investigate. Now, because you've come forward, someone's going to do something else to you, treat you differently, retaliate against you in some way. Come forward again and tell us, right? So now you've been harmed a second time, come forward. So what I am starting to see organizations do, and we're really starting to talk about with our community, is how do organizations use data? How do they understand what's going on in their organization so that they can see signs that retaliation may be occurring or they find ways to prevent it from occurring so the person isn't harmed a second time? And that starts to build trust. Right. I also feel like if someone goes through that investigation process, whether they're the person that brought forward the complaint, the subject, or a witness, just someone who was brought in to tell their side of the story because they saw something, if they have a good experience, the next time they see a coworker dealing with something, they're more likely to say to them, hey, you know, I had something similar happen to me and I went to HR and they actually helped me. You should go there too. Right. You build a support program. Absolutely. That is a kind of sort of consumer support, right? Um, that net promoter type of advocacy that's going to change how people feel about their organizations and really build their trust. It's so interesting. And as you said, yeah, you build that support program, you build a feeling that you are supported by your organization, which again, ties back to that corporate culture and will solidify maybe any shaky ground that could happen from an altercation in the workplace that otherwise in a weak corporate culture may really have a ripple effect and be tough to overcome. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so interesting. So Deb, one thing I do want to look at is just how much has changed in the workspace since March, 2020. We've seen a working world change completely from being in person and in the office, so many of us working remotely and now either coming back fully or in a hybrid environment or being completely remote. So what's changed in terms of workplace altercations in the last two years that maybe we didn't see previously? Yeah, I think there's a lot of things. First of all, because we have people not working and physically connected to one another, there's two things, that, well, there's probably more than two, but there's, you know, bullying can happen and people don't see it, right? So it can be cyberbullying and it can't be noticed at the water cooler. People aren't going to see it. So that's one thing. The other thing that I've started to see is that it's really easy to ghost people, 
right? It's really easy when someone irritates you or you don't like them or you like someone more, you know, you want to work with someone more, you can just turn off your video and not connect with them. You know, you don't have that water cooler conversation. You're not bumping into them awkwardly in an elevator where you actually have to interact with them. And that in a way is a form of bullying that can happen in the workplace. So we need to really equip our managers to make sure they look for signs if someone is not part of something, to make sure that they have ways intentionally to have inclusivity in the workplace, if they see signs that someone's more withdrawn, to ask them what's going on, to make sure they're included. So that's one thing. But the other thing, I mean, people are back in the workplace. Some people are back in the workplace. And we know that people are dealing with a tremendous amount of stress. We're looking at mental health in many different ways. And so that will manifest itself differently. Now, I don't know why Will Smith reacted the way he did, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he had a lot going on in his life and maybe stuff we don't even know about. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back. So how they remediated may have something to do with that in the end or not, but we just have to be aware that people might be more fragile. There's a lot going on in the world that they bring to work with them that can cause behaviors that may not be the most appropriate at times. The other thing is our research also shows us our benchmark study that we do, which is available on our website. Anybody can download it for free, but it's employee relations benchmark statistics. But we ask about this increase we're seeing in employee-related incidents in the workplace, and we ask, what do people attribute that to? Not a big surprise. The attributions go to COVID-19, the social movements like Black Lives Matter, Me Too, and also the political environment. So that also causes a lot of discourse in the workplace. What do you talk about? What do you don't talk about? Now, if I go back to those many years ago when I started HR, the way we dealt with it then was we just didn't talk about it. You didn't talk about religion at work. You just didn't talk about it. Right. Those are the social standards of of don't talk religion. You don't talk politics. That's right. Well, we can't do that anymore. It's so much of who we are. We want people to bring their whole selves to work. We want to celebrate diversity. We want to, you know, bring that into the workplace so we can't avoid it. So how do we help people do that? in a way that's comfortable, that's respectful, that also allows some grace when people get it wrong. Because the one thing I've learned since COVID and since the Black Lives Matter movement has sort of reemerged is that I don't know a lot, that I'm learning things differently. And sometimes people make mistakes and they say something that might be not the right way to say it. Maybe they're not that familiar with how to use pronouns and they slip up. So We need to have a way in our workplace to help people learn, to understand, and when they make a mistake, to help them gracefully learn from it, if they're willing to, and get better. And I think that's a challenge. It's I think HR professionals are really learning from it themselves and trying to bring that into part of the company culture. Right. So Deb, what are some of those ways that we can smooth out some of those bumps in the road, returning back to work and having those difficult conversations? I mean, what are some of the steps that HR leaders can take to get out in front and be proactive? Well, I know a lot of our colleagues, and we're also doing it within HR Acuity, are having forums and brown bag lunches and making people more aware of you know, what it's like to be something other than what they are in the workplace. Having conversations about how to be an ally. I remember one of the CHROs of one of our clients talked about how they, I can't, I'm going to get this wrong, um, but, you know, when somebody said something, someone would say, ouch, you know, just like that, that hurt, right? That hurt. We've thought about kind of these, 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 you know, these little, you know, jabs at people, these little microaggressions, right? That if you're underrepresented employee in the workplace, 
It might not seem like a big deal to somebody else, but it's that little jab, that little jab. You're being poked all day long. It's annoying. It's not comfortable. You shouldn't have to deal with that. So instead of just dealing with it, it's like, ouch, and letting the person know that that wasn't okay. And then using the time to explain to them or, you know, don't always put the onus on the underrepresented whether it's a woman or a person of color, don't put the onus on them to teach everybody else. As an organization, we should be finding ways to teach our organization how to be better, how to be allies. And we're seeing more and more of that in organizations and it's good and, and allowing us to learn and to grow. Right. That's some really great insight. I like that you said you're not putting that solely on one person to carry that burden and to teach the entire organization. You create programs, create opportunities where it can be shared and really, again, build back toward a community that for many haven't worked together in person either ever because they've been onboarded and joined a company in the pandemic or haven't been together in two years. And so many people have changed and learned so much about themselves, about the world. And you're returning really back to a completely new environment. Yeah. And I think the other thing... I try to do and sort of coach other leaders is I think the leaders have to be vulnerable. They have to show that they don't know everything and maybe share some of their gaps and things that they've done and how they've learned from it and allow other people in the organization to do the same. There's been a lot of conversation about how much is too much in the workplace. If you remember a year ago or so, Coinbase, the CEO came out and said, you know, no political conversations in the workplace. You just have to work and didn't go over very well. I think they saw half of their employees leave. Right. Um, I was just listening to a podcast the other day with the CEO of WordPress. And he said their organization sort of took the other stance and said, look, we want this conversation. It's good for our employees. We're a very global organization. We're learning from each other. The only rule was you can't be anonymous. If you're going to say something, you have to kind of stand behind it. So own it. Uh, yeah, you got to own it and obviously do it with respect. It's a definite dynamic shift too from just the top-down management to now it's a back and forth between the employee base speaking to the C-suite and giving feedback and that being received. It, it's more of a back and forth relationship than it was previously. Absolutely. And I think one thing you touched on that I really want to dig into is the idea of putting policies into place. Now, you mentioned the policy put into place of saying no political conversation in the workplace. Obviously, that had a negative reaction. But in any of these cases, policies being put in place can sometimes help get out in front of challenges, in front of altercations. I think everybody gets the idea. But what's the one misstep HR leaders are making when putting policies in place that maybe does not make them as effective as they could be? Well, they put them in place. They hand them to people and then they get dusty. And now they don't even get dusty because they send them to them electronically. So they don't, there's no dust. They just sort of get you know put to the bottom of the pile. So your culture is how you act, right? It's not the policy. It's what you expect. I shouldn't have to tell anybody that we don't allow punching in the workplace. Right. You know, right? You would think. So it's, it's about what you do. You got to walk the talk. You have to make it happen. It comes back to that trust, right? You see what other people are doing. You see how an organization responds. You see how they bring life to that policy. That is really the most important thing that's the difference between policies. At the end of the day, you have to have them. You need to have guidelines for how people are going to behave or what's expected, but it's about actually what you do with them. Sure. Now, let me ask this one too. If you bring someone back who's been involved in an altercation and maybe on the wrong side of that altercation, how do you do that within a corporate setting to get them accepted and brought back into the group? If it's Will Smith and he's back to making movies, how do you effectively get him to be loved again? How do you bring somebody back into an organization to be embraced and really trusted? Are there any steps that can be taken? Yeah, I think it comes back to trust. First of all, does the organization believe that a fair process took place? 
right? And with many of these investigations, the tricky part is you want to be transparent, but there's also a confidential aspect of it that you're not going to play out, you know, in, in a public forum in the organization. So again, that's trust you're going to build over time. But if something happens and you bring a person back, it's going to take time for the organization to heal. Are you putting programs in place? Are you making sure the reporting relationship is right, that there are checks and balances to make sure it's not going to happen again? And it's up to that person as well. You know, many cases in an investigation, how we remediate an issue has a lot to do with how forthcoming that person is, how during the investigation, are they contrite or do they, you know, I don't say confess because it's not a criminal thing, but do they come forward? Are they um, apologetic for what happened? And that can also be used in a communication aspect, depending upon who this person is, when you bring them back to the workplace. The other thing is it doesn't end that day. You have to keep track. Did it actually stop? Did the behavior stop? Are they continuing? And again, we're going to find out more. Well, we may never find out. I Googled before we did this. Will Smith, bad behavior. I don't know. I was trying to figure out, like, has he done things? I didn't see anything. And quite frankly, I've never, you know, Will Smith has always sort of been this pillar of kind of a really good guy. Right. Relatively clean. Doesn't have a resume of anything like this in the past. That's right. So it might be this one thing. So he may be able to make his way back, depending upon how he works the situation. I liken that to a Matt Lauer. I often think about that. And I've told people when his issue was coming to light, people were shocked. Really? They really weren't. People that knew him in that workplace knew he told jokes, he was inappropriate. Now it just escalated to the point where it kind of got out in the public. Right. But nobody in that organization was surprised. Nobody was surprised about Harvey Weinstein. Maybe not the extent. People made jokes about it. So again, part of that investigation is to understand, did we have an ongoing problem that we missed or ignored? And then we have to look at ourselves as an organization to say, is that okay? Because we put people at risk. Or was this a one-time blip, a lot of stuff going on? And based upon that information, you determine what the best path forward is. That's some really great insight. And again, I think something super valuable for our audience as they are going back into a workplace and there sure will be altercations. It's as much as we'd like to think everything will be a perfectly smooth transition back. There's going to be challenges. So I think giving that kind of advice to our listeners is super vital. So thank you for that, Deb. Again, we're here with Deb Muller, CEO and founder of HR Acuity. Deb, do you have anything you want to plug, anything you're excited about? Yeah, well, we're really excited about what's happening at HR Acuity. And hopefully if any of your listeners want to learn more about HR Acuity and what an employer relations specific case management system looks like, we're really one of the few that does it. We'd love to take you on a curiosity tour. And I think I'm excited about what's happening with employer relations. We're really seeing employer relations extend beyond HR. So if you think about employer relations, it's that interaction between the employee and the employer. When an employee thinks about an employer, they're thinking about the manager. So we have just released a new part of our technology, which focuses on the manager and helping the manager deal with those interactions, those events that happen sometimes the good stuff, but a lot of times those predictive indicators that if they deal with them properly, if they document them, if they handle them, will actually not escalate to the level of a punch in a a major concert hall and will really help make the organization more successful, make the manager more successful, you know, improve diversity in the organization. So we're really excited about this expanded scope of employee relations. I'm excited to hear about it. That's a really great and smart tool to offer out to the community. So where can listeners go to learn more about HR Acuity? Yes, you can go to hracuity.com is our website. 
The other thing, if you're an employee relations professional, I do have to plug this. For about a year now, we have launched something called Empower. So think about the word Empower, the capital E-R. It is the only online community for employee relations professionals. It is free. So you can go to empower-er.org to join. It's free. There are about 2,000 other employee relations professionals there who are networking, who are sharing who are posting jobs. So if you're looking for your next opportunity, it's a great place to go. So that's another place to go. And then I'm going to plug one more thing just because it's so topical. Go for it. Is that on April 20th, we are having a webinar, which is all about assessing credibility in a workplace investigation. So if you are an investigator and you're experienced or you're more junior, this I think is the most critical part of an investigation because it's not the smoking gun. Let me just tell you, Josh, it's not so often you see the punch on live TV. More often, it's a he said, she said in these workplace issues, even in the altercations, and even more so in a remote environment. So really understanding how, as an investigator, you can effectively assess credibility of your involved parties is important. And so we have a webinar on that. You can go to our website, get more information. Again, it's free, and we hope to see people there. That's great. Thank you for that, Deb. And we'll be sure to include all that information on our website as well. So anybody who's listening who wants to learn more, uh, either again, go to the sites that Deb has mentioned, but you can also get that information through hrdailyadvisor.com. We'll be sure to provide that. So Deb, one thing before we leave, you've talked so much about what's changed over the last two years. Tell me about yourself. What has changed and what have you learned in the last two years that's made you a more effective leader? I think when we've seen such sadness in the world and such disruption in the world, and it just, you know, it's a gift that keeps giving, you know, now we have the horrible, horrible war in the Ukraine, you just become more grateful for what you have. And you recognize more that everybody else's situations are not as they seem. Don't kind of take someone for face value, their shining, smiling face on Zoom. There's a lot more behind it. And I think as a leader, to be really thoughtful about that, to reach out to people, to ask them how they're doing, and to see how we can help. And so I've just had to reflect a lot more as a leader that way. And um, I think that if that's a silver lining of the past two years, hopefully for other people, that's there. But yeah, grateful. That's a great thing to learn and great thing to take away from the last two years. So Deb, thank you so much. Deb Muller, CEO and founder of HR Acuity. Thank you for taking the time with us on the HR Works podcast and sharing so much insight on the slap heard around the world, but on workplace altercations in general and what we can do to be better and get out in front and properly react in the workplace. So again, thank you so much for sharing that insight, Deb. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the HR Works podcast. Be sure to check out our new episodes every Tuesday. Follow us on all major streaming platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Audible.